Welcome to the Overanalyzers. I'm Dan. He's Mike. What is the bike shed principle? All right. This is famous in software development, but for some reason it hasn't uh, really leaked to the rest of the world yet. And it should, because it's super, super fundamental. So the bike shed principle. There was this guy named C. Northcote Parkinson, I believe was his name. He was a naval historian, wrote a bunch of books, professor at Cambridge, stuff like that. And he has this book that he wrote called Parkinson's Law, which he's very uh, well known for. Parkinson's Law says that any task that you do uh, will expand to fill whatever time you give it. That's not what we're talking about. And this is a point of confusion. Parkinson's Law of Triviality is totally different, a.k.a. the bike shit principle. So this guy uh, proposed this scenario. It's just a hypothetical that he made up to kind of illustrate this thing that he's observed. He uh, gives this example of some committee at some business or something discussing different uh, items on the agenda. And so the first item on the agenda is this proposal to build a new nuclear power plant somewhere overseas. It costs tens of millions of dollars. And so the committee goes, okay, that sounds pretty good. I assume that, you know, like, okay, everything's in order, right? I mean, we did the research and, you know, I'm sure we have documents on that. And everyone says, yeah, yeah, it looks like it's good. Everyone goes, all right, yeah, yeah, let's do it. That seems like a good investment. All right. Uh, item number two, uh, there is a proposal to build a new bicycle shed on the the campus of the, the, the business or something. And everyone goes, where are we going to put it? And how big? And how much is it going to cost? And then one guy says, well, I, uh, I think the roof ought to be aluminum. I have an aluminum roof on my shed at my house, and it's actually a great building material. And then someone else goes, no, 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 like you don't want aluminum, you know, tin, you're way better off with tin. And then somebody else goes, no, no, no asbestos, like asbestos is the best uh, material you can use, like it's state of the art or something. And I, this guy is old. So it's before we realize that asbestos gives you cancer. But there's all this discussion, right? And they're debating the cost of things and where it goes and whether it should be locked up or security and, and on and on. And they spend, you know, an hour on this topic and they eventually reach a, a, a conclusion or they, they decide on something they manage to save fifty dollars from the original proposal and then there's some third item on the agenda of the the coffee for the office and they spend hours debating the coffee and where it ought to come from and how it should be brewed and whether it's flavored or not and something something and they never actually reach a conclusion for the coffee and that's his his hypothetical are, were you familiar with this at all, or is I, I, this is famous in software? But like you said, I no, haven't I'm, witnessed it outside much. I'm pretty sure you told me about the bike shed like a year ago, and I don't think I've ever heard about the bike okay. shed principle. Well, otherwise. if you heard it from me, then it doesn't count. Uh, okay. Well, I I don't think I've ever heard this from anyone else. Okay, it's not out in the world as much as it ought to be. So in in software development, we call this the bike shed principle, and it's it's pointed out constantly. There's this thing, without getting too into the weeds of source control management and stuff like that, uh, a lot of the time there might be some big software project that you decide to work on. You go, ah, there's this bug and I want to fix it. 
And so you dig into it and you you create what's called a patch. It's just you know some some changes to the code that you you send in uh, that need to get reviewed by someone, you know somebody who's like you know maintaining a project or something. And very often uh, people will look at the patch and go, I think this should be a switch statement, not an if statement. Or I think like there needs to be an extra space at the end of this line, or I, you, why don't you switch this around, or this shouldn't be a function, it should be something else, right? They, they fixate and, and give you feedback on all these very simple issues. And depending on, you know, who you're working with, you know, some people are very good at this sort of thing, but often enough, you'll get this trivial feedback where the bigger picture is utterly missed of this is a bad idea to begin with you know this it, this is not the right way to architect the software this is a dumb feature one of my favorites that happens in software development all the time is where somebody let's say it's an open source project where just the community kind of works on things and there's a few people that that do this somebody will find a bug sometimes it's a really bad bug like the the program just crashes when you start it in some situations and they find this bug and they say oh look I, I figured this out here's my fix for it and then the maintainers will go i really don't like your code styling you think you can redo this or i don't really like the way that you've done this or that whatever right bike shedding they sit there and start talking about trivial issues and sometimes months will go by before eventually this thing gets merged in and then people go cool all right we got this fix in and uh, you know we made sure there weren't any syntax issues or something. Meanwhile, during that two months, the program was freaking broken and it didn't work at all. And that is a way more important issue than whether or not this little you know code fix was formatted properly. And the reason is this: is that human beings uh, tend to fixate uh, on things that are simple and understandable that they they can formulate opinions about they can say i don't like the way this looks i don't like the way that looks and it's easy to have opinions on that whereas some of the really big picture stuff is completely missed like the nuclear power plant that is expensive enough to make or break the entire company but nobody understands that so they don't talk about it yeah talking about the the bigger picture like literally i'll be working on a a big picture and i'll have you know mountains in the distance a giant castle a, you know a little building whatever and there's like you know ten thousand things in this picture and i'll i'll turn it in and they're like yeah yeah it's great can you make the time of day like an hour later or like can you change this guy's shirt color or like just just stupid things like that because yeah it's like that's all they understand not it depends on the person i'm turning it yeah, into yeah. but um yeah, they fixate on these tiny little details that literally just do not matter at all. And I think it's because they feel like they need to say something. Mm -hmm. And the only thing they really understand or have any experience with are those tiny, simple things. Like the only way I'm going to get better feedback is if I give it to an experienced artist or someone who really understands like this type of design stuff or, or this type of architecture or whatever. They can give me real feedback, but it's not always the case. But that's requires a very deep understanding and a lot of context and insight that right most people don't have yeah and so in the case of like a meeting when you have a a large number of people the like if you did a venn diagram the the part that 
yeah. everyone overlaps with are, are the really simple things. Yeah. And so those are the things that everyone has an opinion on. Whereas, you know, when you get to the more complicated stuff, only maybe two people in the room mm-hmm. have any real knowledge of that or experience with it. So then they have opinions about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think this um this shows up in society a lot, like almost at an extreme. Because if you think about it in a weird way, we're all this big meeting talking about stuff, you know, just human beings in general. Uh, do you remember a few years ago with uh, the NFL? I don't know if people outside the U.S. know about this or care at all, and you shouldn't. But <laughs> there were NFL players who were kneeling during the the national anthem uh, at the start of a game as sort of a like a protest type of thing. This was plastered all over the news. It was all over social media. People having their opinions on I support it or I don't and whatever. And just if you look back with a little bit of perspective at that period of time, that has to be the least important issue that you could even find. It's the stupidest. Whether or not NFL NFL players are kneeling at a football game has nothing to do with like geopolitics or the the brewing pandemic and conditions overseas. What like there's just so much. Uh almost anything you just randomly picked would have been more important than that. But because that is something that is easy to understand, you know, I was able to communicate it in two sentences. Uh people get it and they have feelings about it and they want to share opinions about it. And so it like you said, it fits right in the center of that Venn diagram of things that people can talk about. And so it just explodes and dominates new cycles and everything. And there's just stuff like that constantly happening. You can almost predict uh, just watching the news, like what is going to become that? It has to be it has to be simple and stupid enough that people can formulate opinions on. I really like your that you said we're all just like a giant meeting because that's actually exactly how the internet goes. It's like just the stupid stuff is the stuff we're going to talk about. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, you can, there's like this little test. Something won't reach that status unless you can formulate an opinion on it, knowing absolutely nothing about it. Like that's yeah. kind of the, the, the bar that it has to hit. You don't have to watch football or know anything about NFL to go, wait a minute. They're kneeling in the national anthem. I understand that. And I'm going to share my feelings on it. Speaking of, I don't think either one of us really have all that much knowledge about the NFL. And here we are None. sharing our opinions. None on at all. Right. And we're talking about it. That's yeah. the, the amazing power of the bike shed principle. Okay. But that's not the only aspect, like knowing something about it. That's not the only thing that attributes to right. the reason why those simpler things get talked about what are some of the other reasons um give us your the the rock metaphor okay just just do that all right i'll just give my rock metaphor you're clearly setting yourself up for that so just go ahead all right all right i'll just get to it all right so you're standing in front of a normal sized rock and a giant boulder okay and a guy comes up to you gives you a hammer and says I need you to smash both of these rocks at least in half. All right? So smash one in half, smash the other in half. Do a really, really good job. Okay? 
So it gives you the hammer and walks away. And you're like, oh my God, I got to do a really good job. I got to smash these rocks. So you look at the, the little rock and you look at the big rock and you look at the big boulder and you think, I have no idea how to smash a giant boulder with a small hammer. And you look at the small rock and think, oh, I know exactly how to smash that rock. So you run over to that rock and you whack it with your hammer and it breaks in two. And then you look back at the boulder and think, I still don't know how to smash that boulder, but I want to feel like I'm doing a really good job. So I'm just going to keep smashing this rock. So you just keep smashing the smaller rock into smaller and smaller pieces. And you're feeling really good about yourself because you're doing such a good job on this small rock until that whole rock is now just like this little pile of pebbles. Uh, and then you just smash all the pebbles into a fine dust. And you can just keep going indefinitely, smashing this, this rock into oblivion. Um, and, and you feel good about it until one day you look over and you go, oh my God, I totally forgot about the boulder. I still don't know how to do that. And I'm totally worn out from crushing this little rock. I don't know what to do. And maybe you run at it really hard with a hammer or, or whatever. But the, the issue is, is that in order to split that boulder in half, you have to stop. The hammer is at your side while you think, all right? There's, there's no work uh, visibly being done, but you have to think about a method in order for you to, to break that boulder in half. And I don't know if you've ever seen those videos, but there's, there's videos of guys like, and they take this little chisel and like chisel along a line on a boulder. And then eventually it just breaks in half. Like it can be this enormous boulder and they eventually get it to just break in half with this I little would not hammer have and thought chisels. Boulders work that way. That's interesting. It's really cool. It was, you know, on Instagram or something. Just look it up. I'm sure everyone else has seen that, but Watch yeah. It. So like one guy can break a whole boulder with this little thing, but I'm not trying to be inspirational. I'm just saying that you, you have to take a different approach. You have to stop and think. And mm -hmm. it's not like the, the illusion of, move, uh, of movement or the illusion of progress is not there. Like you're not doing anything except thinking. And oftentimes, almost always, especially as a group, we tend to go for the things that give us that feeling of, of progress instantly. And we all know how to smash a small rock with a hammer. So have you, that's the boulder thing. Have you ever written a resume or a college essay or something like that and then given it to somebody else to look over for you? Yeah. Invariably, what happens? If you give somebody this piece of text to look at, they will come back and say, oh, uh, you got a typo on this line and you spelled this word wrong. And I think this sentence could maybe be shuffled around a little bit, you know, maybe use this word instead of that word. They'll give you synonyms for words, things like that. But their feedback almost never stretches beyond the scope of a sentence. And it's usually not even that big. It's usually words and like little sentence fragments and whatnot. And to me, that is, that's the pebble. You, if you have somebody's resume to look over and you see a pebble in front of you, you can't resist but smash right. it. You just you can't come back and not say you spelled this wrong or this you know this sentence wasn't that great but rarely depends on who you're talking to and sometimes you have to communicate what you want clearly but it's rare that somebody comes back and says i think you just did this wrong 
Like this isn't the right tone to have in a resume. I think it should be half as long. I think you shouldn't have any of this boilerplate stuff. Like they they rarely step back and say, I think you need to re-architect the whole thing. Uh, or, or maybe even that is fixating on something simple. Maybe they would need to say, you know what? You might be in the wrong career field. I think you actually might be better fit for this and i mean not that you should do that when somebody just asks right. for feedback like you kind of need to know what they're looking for because if i just want somebody to check for typos and they tell me to you know quit my job i'm like not that happy but point being i i really like your your rock metaphor thing because i think that we are so wired for that where if you if you put those little pebbles in front of somebody they want to smash them i want to smash them that's just how we're wired and that can prevent you from getting at some of the bigger picture stuff. Right. And to me, I've started thinking about phone notifications as like a tiny, tiny pebble. Yeah. And you like, that's a super instant thing that you can take mm -hmm. care of, you know, or, uh, you know, emails that pop up that you need to reply to. It's like, Oh, slightly bigger rock, but you know how to smash it. And so yeah. you'll, you'll keep going after those things instead of working on much bigger projects, much more important things to you, but not quite as easy to handle or not as efficient to you. You know what I think fits this perfectly that nobody seems to realize? Well, not nobody, but it's often overlooked. Time management is mostly a pebble. And I've, I, we talked about this in the past when, when we were going into some of my problems with my own YouTube channel and whatnot. But I thought this way of, man, there's this giant project that I'm really care about that I can't make progress on, you know, my YouTube channel that I was, you know, trying to maintain and like upload more content for. And I kept thinking, I need to, I need to use Pomodoro. I need to fix this thing. I need to switch up my work schedule. I need to use a time tracker app. I need to use this or that. And those things are so appealing because it's such a simple, understandable explanation for a problem of, oh, well, time management. You know, you're not getting it done. Try shuffling up your time differently. And that had nothing to do with the problem. Uh, the problem was an emotional problem in that, we went into this before, but there's all kinds of complicated uh, personal issues going on. It's almost like smashing all those little pebbles continued to wear you down to the point where you you can't smash a bigger rock. Like, you're, you're least, worn out. <laughs> I, I was so distracted by the pebbles on the ground, I never, like, took a step back and looked up and go, oh, my God, there's this giant half-ton boulder that I need to figure out. It, like right. the the pebbles are there as like with the the original hypothetical right people or the the committee spends all their time talking about the bike shed or you know the coffee for the office they're not discussing the nuclear power plant that costs millions of dollars that could make or break the entire business right it just they're distracted like they're little shiny things that that we go after uh that don't allow us to or give us an escape from focusing on the really important thing. And I, I mean, I witnessed this to the extreme degree in my own life in that scenario. And I think this applies to, to jobs, to relationships, to, to everything. Like yeah. you, you'll just continue like with a job that you're sort of miserable in. I don't know. You'll, you'll 
you'll get home and binge TV or something to where you don't have to think about it. Or, you know, you just deal with these like simple fixes and you never take a step back. I don't know. You just find ways of coping with it because you don't want to have to deal with the, the much bigger problem of, oh, maybe I should get a different job. Yeah. Or you just don't even see the bigger problem because you're constantly, yeah. you know, finding yeah, your head is down. Do. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Why, why do you think that those little things are so appealing to us? I mean, you, we know that important things are important, at least on some level. What is it about those little things that like draws you to them? Okay, well, I wrote down four reasons why I think why I think we go after those small things. Number one is typically because they're urgent. Like it, with the bike shed, it wasn't really urgent. Like I think both the bike shed yeah. and the power plant were probably on the same timeline. Timeline, but for a lot of other things like a the phone notification or an email or whatever, those things typically tend to be urgent because they're like they're quick burns, like everyday quick burn yeah. stuff um okay, you so hold, sorry <laughs> you made an observation a while ago i think that uh, a lot of those types of things like phone notifications and whatnot are red yeah right yes. and in order to create a sense of alarm or urgency or something which they're not right like are, i don't yeah we are hardwired to see red as as blood. I mean, we just are. Like you see, and and a little red dot registers in our brain as you know something to pay attention to. Yeah, you know, like a little drop of blood. And if you notice, all your notifications are typically a little red dot. Um, they don't need to be. They could be <laughs> right. That, but they do that to get you to deal with it urgently. To think. I need to pay attention to this. So it, it stands out on your screen as something you need to pay attention to. Your brain needs to to observe it and, and do something about it. Um, yeah. I just I read. thought that was an interesting observation. So urgency, right? Number one, urgency. Yes, urgency. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. So that's number one. Number two is we like to do easy things because, not not because we're lazy, although some of us probably are lazy, but I think... The main reason is that we like to do easy things because we like to feel like we're we're getting things done. And those easy things immediately give us that. Yeah. Obviously, sometimes we need to do easy things. But if we're given the choice between an easy thing and a hard thing, we're going to go with the easy thing um, because it, it gives us that feeling of progress immediately. I, to me, in the, the most simple sense, we are wired to seek out dopamine rewards right like that's the the chemical motivator in your head and we're able to get ourselves to do other things but on a very fundamental level that's our body saying yeah cool good job here's some dopamine and whatever i think it's kind of similar to something we've talked about before how in like a primitive environment where things are scarce and you're trying to survive like with food if food is scarce, then you need whatever calories you can find. And the best way to find those calories is in really calorie-dense foods like sugar and fat and stuff like that. So we're pretty fundamentally wired from a survival standpoint to seek out something like that, like sugar, 
because it's if we need calories, that's the best place to get it. It's really calorie dense. And I think yeah, it's kind of. Well, we're supposed to take advantage of those things like this is where we come from. We are right. primitive humans and it was always survival. Yeah, it still is, but very different now. Uh, but we're the same. Like, but back in the day, you would go on a hunt or whatever. And if you came along like a little red berry, you know, like a little red dot, you, well, as long as it's not poisonous, you grab it and you eat <laughs> yeah. it, right? Because you need to take advantage of that, of that instance. Um, and that's how you stay alive is when the rewards present themselves, you take them because they're right. very rare. Uh, nowadays, all we get is these little red berries, like we're, we're covered in them. They're everywhere. Um, and you have to remind yourself to stay focused on the hunt, on the more important things. Um, right. So it's kind of backwards. But yeah, yeah, we are hardwired to look for, for those right. things. It's like you want to take, your body wants to take the shortest path to calories because that in a survival situation, that's very important. You know, you shouldn't go on a 10 mile journey to hunt down a, you know, animal if you find one right next to you. Like you need to, take the easiest route to get them. And I think that we have a similar thing happening with the easiest route to dopamine or the easiest route to some, you know, psychological reward for completing something. If you have the boulder in front of you and you have the pebble, the pebble is a way simpler way to get it. And so we are deeply wired to want to do that. Right. And and that's why healthy food doesn't taste as good as junk food. Yeah. It's not supposed to. Right. Anyway. Because it's, yeah. All right, go ahead. Number three. Right. Okay, so... That's one and two. Number three is we we do what we know. We always go to the thing that we know. Um, this is why I've avoided cars like my whole life because I don't know what I'm doing with a car. So you mean fixing a car, not yeah, yeah, a fixing car. a car. I know how to drive a car, but yeah, I will look for other solutions like taking it in somewhere or or finding someone who wants to work on it. But I avoid the things I don't know and try to stay in environments where I do know what I'm doing. We all do this. Um, and so that's a reason why we choose not necessarily simpler things, but we stick to the things that we know. And in the meeting, like with the, the bike shed and the. Yeah. Coffee and the, the nuclear power plant. Yes. The nuclear power plant. It's a made up thing. So you can, you don't have to remember it perfectly. I just Someone couldn't just remember the word nuclear. But anyway, in the Venn diagram, we all we all talk about at the same time about these things because we all have some experience yeah. um yeah so we we all talk about things we know that's what i was trying yeah to say. yeah and i there, the actual name for that i think is uh, ambiguity aversion pretty sure that's what it's called we are just if something is an unknown it's scary they're we're wired right. to not seek out something unknown if it's familiar we want to go with that just like we're afraid of the dark because we don't know what's in there. Right. We should be afraid of that. So we're supposed to think that way. Um, yeah. So anything ambiguous, ambiguous, okay. not, amb yeah. Anything <laughs> ambiguous, we're going to shy away from. And then I guess I already said this, but we, we like to feel like we are getting something done. That's why we choose the easy things because we, we like to feel like we are, we're working hard. And so that easier stuff gives us that. Yeah, yeah, the reward mechanism type of thing. Yeah. Okay, so to to kind of summarize those things for myself, the way I see it, very, very often 
we rely on like emotional decision making right you you right. see something in front of you like the pebble you know the typo in somebody's resume and you think oh i can fix that and that brings a reward it, it it's understandable you know that that person's gonna go oh yeah thanks i missed that you know it 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 kind of checks all those boxes um the urgency you know we urgency to us means that it's important but it isn't always or it doesn't something that isn't as time sensitive could be just as important or more so but the urgency creates that feeling of you know a need emotional need to me it's it's just basically we are reasoning with emotions uh rather than with a higher level reasoning of saying what actually is most important you know this nuclear power plan is a big deal i might not understand it it might be difficult for me to share an opinion on it because it's it's big and difficult but it is infinitely more important than the bike shed and this is what we should spend our time on uh, so like the 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 theme across the board is emotions versus you know calculated reasoning you know we in the same way that if you want to eat well you have to do some thinking and figure out what foods you're going to eat if you simply go by what is the most desirable to you all the time you wind up eating really poorly and for some reason we pretty much have that sorted out with food i mean at least in the sense that we get that principle we know that you shouldn't just go into the grocery store and fill your cart up with sleeves of oreo cookies and eat those all the time like we know that's not good but for behavioral problems like working on projects and whatnot i don't think we think that clearly about it we tend to just right. go by those emotional uh, little rivers that we get carried down. So I think I think the, the go-to solution for everyone is that we always try to make ourselves better. We always try to, like, you know, we promise ourselves we'll be better the next day and we'll, we'll feel like doing more work or we'll feel like doing those bigger things. But the reality is, or what's more beneficial is to change the circumstances. Like those are more powerful than your emotions. You need something to override your, mm -hmm. your quickly changing emotions. And so for people who are very fit or are very focused on fitness, they always have this set amount of time, like every day or every other day or whatever, to always work on those important things to them. Whether they feel like it or not, they always yeah. have that set time that's a very big priority in their life. And I think for me, that's made a world of difference. I now have a set time in the morning where I work on important things. I very strictly do not do quick, urgent, unimportant things or, or slightly important things or whatever. I work on right. you know, the big goals. And that set amount of time, like, it doesn't matter if I feel like doing it or not. I have that time and that's what it's for. So like with the bike shed thing, they should have made a rule not to talk about anything. Yeah. Like the nuclear power plant, you know, and yeah, that say kind of guarantees you, that. Yeah. Right. You get an hour to talk about the nuclear power plant. You get two minutes to talk about the bike shed. Yes. Because you need that like higher brain to, to recognize what's important and right. Because if you just follow emotions, you'll end up talking about a bike shed forever or smashing little rocks indefinitely. Mm -hmm. Like with food, right? You could say, I, you know, for lunch, I got to eat 
this many calories of these different things and I want these different micronutrients in there. I'm going to have some spinach and whatnot. And then you could say, you know what, a couple times a week, if I'm out with friends, I can eat, you know, some right. junk food at a bar or something. Yeah. So don't trust your emotions. I have one All more. Time. Yeah. So one more little thought on this. We've discussed at length some of the issues that we have like procrastination and some of the emotional problems that come up with being a functional, productive human, right? And I, you know, said a minute ago that I think time management is often the the bike shed solution to the nuclear power plant problem. I think that if you are working on something, the sometimes the biggest problem that's even bigger than the hard problems you have on your to-do list is just your own emotional state and your relationship with your job or this thing or and, and all of that. I, I mean, we, you know, exercise, the you can argue about programs and optimal nutrition and sleep and all that kind of stuff, but if you don't exercise versus do exercise, like that's the biggest factor there, right? So I think in some ways... Obviously, you you need to deal with the big boulder at some point, but sometimes your biggest problem is just getting yourself into something or getting yourself moving on it and or establishing habits and that kind of thing. So I think that you can actually use the bike shed principle. Uh, you can kind of abuse it with yourself. And I, we mentioned this before, uh, pretty often. I've actually tried to make more of a habit of this even since then. So I do this very frequently, but if... I need to start on a project like at a future date or even just the next day, like the next work day. I try to find the most trivial thing I can find and give it as the top priority item for myself the next day. Not because it's most important, but because, well, in a weird way, it is most important because the most important thing is getting myself to start on this project again. So if I can give myself this little pebble that I know how to smash, that can actually be perfect because it gets me going and gets me back into it. And then I can kind of work myself up into, okay, I'm focused now. I'm feeling pretty good. Let's spend some time trying to deal with some of the harder issues. So in a way, yeah. in a weird kind of upside down world, sometimes the trivial thing is the most important thing. Like maybe for this hypothetical meeting, maybe the problem is that nobody wants to talk or, you know, people have, uh, you know objections to something but they're uncomfortable sharing them maybe the thing to do is say hey for the first 15 minutes of this meeting we're going to talk about this bike shed and you all are going to start talking and start feeling more comfortable sharing opinions and then after that 15 minutes now we're going to talk about this nuclear power plant for the next two hours because it's super important and you actually can create a better environment by abusing the the bike shed principle by leading with that and getting people into the right state and i think you can do that with yourself so it's not, I don't think the answer is just, it's good or bad. It's it's the way we think. And if you recognize it in yourself, you can kind of use it uh, to manipulate yourself into doing things that you want yourself to do. Well, it's like the heuristics thing. You, you actually always want small pebbles. <laughs> like yeah. If you're looking at the boulder, you want to split that, that project down into easily manageable things. That's why they always say, you know, break, break things down into 
really small things like that. That is actually what you want. You want, right? Yeah. So you could be thinking, okay, I need first. I need to get a chisel. Then I need to line this up, and then I need to do this or do that or right. whatever. And so you have this set list of things to do, and they're just tiny pebbles that you're smashing. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. in a sense, the the a lot of the solution to something like procrastination is using the bike shed principle on yourself. Like you said, trying to turn the boulder into pebbles, trying to make things feel trivial. So it's not, it's not exactly something to just avoid or make sure you don't fall into the trap. It's more like something to understand and abuse as much as you can. Yeah, like build the bike shed into the nuclear power plant. Uh, yeah, the metaphor starts to get kind of clunky okay. at some point. But yes, I agree. on a boulder, all of that. Yeah. On a okay. Yes. And something, something, space, repetition. All right. right. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Uh, leave us any comments. Uh, we'd love to hear what your experience is with or what your experience is with the bike shed principle. Uh, hang out with us in Discord. You can email us at the overanalyzers podcast at gmail.com. We are looking for show suggestions. So, you know, send uh, send those our way. See you next week.